Naxxramas was part of a growing trend in the early history of the raids of World of Warcraft, where complexity intermingled with canon in ways to create confounding and engaging raid content. This also led to the growing legend of World of Warcraft at the time about dungeons that nobody ever saw because it's only for the elite. Players who have completed every quest, gathered all the needed potions and armor, and found 39 other like-minded players who all want to spend 6 or 7 hours a night banging their heads against some of the toughest challenges in gaming. And I was one of them for a great while. I didn't break into the raiding scene until Burning Crusade, but there's a reason why the in-game content of World of Warcraft, even now, has a mystique and allure to it. There's just this aura of coolness around these big, amazing spaces and boss encounters given to the player with very little direction or help from the game itself, even with the adventure guide added recently. It's trial and error at its greatest and worst. This is even more on topic for me now, as just this past week I began raiding for the first time at level in retail since probably Legion? Sure, it's just looking for raid, nothing crazy, but it reminded me why I love this content in the first place. Even when you've gotten killed five times in a row against the Jailer because half the raid doesn't remember to stand behind a pillar lest they get permanently mind controlled, it's still amazing and a good time. In fact, Rachel was walking in and watching me raid, and I was just sitting there dead because I had accidentally stood in something in a fight that I didn't know, and she just kind of says, are you having fun? And yeah, weirdly enough, this weird masochistic form of gaming is my happy place. I can't explain it, but in general, I don't think World of Warcraft players can explain it. And if all of that gave you panic attacks and sounded super not fun, then you probably know that raiding isn't for you. And that's fine. Honestly, you aren't alone. However, that probably means you've missed a lot of interesting content, and there are parts of this game you just have never been exposed to. So, in the second part of our look at the Scourge Fortress Naxxramas, and it's a long one, let's take a look at how the sausage gets made as we peek past the veil of Naxxramas and look at its raid history, the mechanics, and what it was like to step into its halls as we give you a guided tour of the final raid in Vanilla WoW. This is Essence of Azeroth. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, the scene from a late Vostat in 2006. Oh, okay. Is everyone here? I, I don't know how many times I have to tell everyone that the Raid Night Info is on the forum, and it's always the same. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Have your mats, have your gear, and either get over to the Summon Stone or PM the Warlock when you're set so we can get going. 
We only cleared to the Arachnid Quarter last night, and I would really like to get further along than the rest of the server for once. Hey, don't start yet. I gotta run to the bathroom. Yeah, but what if we're in Central Time? What do you mean? I'm in Central Time, so what about me? Yeah, Falara, I know you're Central Time, but that doesn't mean the time changes. It's 6 p.m. for you. Hey guys, I found a voice mod for Ventrilo. Check this out. No, no, don't do that. No voices, no screwing around. If we wipe it because you spend an hour trying to only talk like Kermit the Frog or some crap again, then I'm docking DKP from everyone for each wipe. Would totally not be epic, man. Okay, I'm on the toilet, so don't start yet. Can we hurry this up? I T-voted One Tree Hill this week, and I'd like to watch it before someone on MySpace spoils it. Neko Cleric, you're main tanking tonight. You can't just bail to go watch TV. See, the great thing about Central Time is that all of the stuff comes early for me. So I already got to see Nathan and Lucas get into that big fight. No, do not say anything. I T-vote it. I have a TV in the bathroom. It's great. If I had a TV bathroom, I would never leave. No, stop it. Nobody's leaving. Greg, stop pooping and get to the plaguelands. Neko, move your TV next to your computer and try not to sound distracted while hitting your taunt button every 10 seconds. Galinar, turn the voice changer off or I'm kicking you out of the guild. Valera, get the summon portal ready and everyone else is logging on. Anyone have a problem with any of that? Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. I said no more voice changer. I didn't. That was an impression. Jeez. That was pretty good. Do you even know how heavy TVs are? Hey, I don't have any nature resist gear. Is that going to be a problem? Uh, I'm, I'm done. I quit. I swear to God, this kind of thing never happened in EverQuest. For the purposes of talking about Naxxramas, it will be in the context of the Wrath of the Lich King version that was the introductory raid to that expansion's in-game content. Why? Well, I actually played that version at level and at retail. However, there are some noted differences between the two, and we will highlight them as needed. Starting with the obvious and biggest, original Nax was hella hard, yo. How hard? And why? Well, tuning and numbers are the biggest culprits, as it was still a 40-man raid with damage numbers and damage resistance needs that are turned up to 11. To give you an idea of just how strong the mobs and bosses and OG knacks were, even in Burning Crusade, it still took 20 to 30 raid-geared players to get a clear. Seeing as it was the last 40-man raid ever, and designed that way, I think it makes sense that the numbers on this raid were just turned up a tad too high, but the other thing that made Original Nax difficult was the gear requirements. Multiple bosses require each party member to either have nature, shadow, or frost resist gear to combat the massive amount of damage coming in, often in the form of damage over time spells or an aura. Saffron, for example, was almost impossible without great healers and everyone in frost resist gear to combat his frost aura dot, which did 600 damage every one second if you were within 100 yards of the boss, which you were, at all times. These resistances and damage numbers were balanced much better in the 20 and 10 man versions of the Raid and Wrath, but also, by this point, spell-specific resist gear was a thing of the past, and in general, players had more armor and self-helping cooldowns to mitigate the damage from spells like Frost Aura. 
looking at you, Death Knights, with your ability to heal 35% of your damage dealt every six seconds. <laughs> the toughest fights in Nax, however, and the reason why the raid gained a reputation, all stem from boss encounters with non-fight mechanics, meaning that they weren't just tank and spank encounters where everyone blows all their spells and cooldowns and hopes they don't die. Specifically, Thaddeus, Lotheb, Resuvius, and Gothic the Harvester all required every player in the group to be on their toes, do specific things, and sometimes be separated into groups within the raid to accomplish goals. This is probably yet another reason why the original Nax was so hard to coordinate and complete. So we've got to start somewhere. And let us venture forth into the dark halls of Naxxramas on our first torch stop, the Arachnic Quarter, home of the Cult of the Damned, slow effects galore, and a giant spider boss that was a pretty good check for if your group was going to be able to cut it in the rest of the dungeon. The Cult of the Damned were a major enemy group in the early days of World of Warcraft. With it being a doomsday cult made up of all the races all over Azeroth, still alive, and in the service of the Lich King. To these folks, being undead was an honor one must earn, and there was no better way to serve the Scourge than to be able to go into their cities and encampments and spy and cause mischief and trouble. The cult's prominence in Naxxramas centers on its first member, Elthazad, former Kirinkor Archmagus and Turncoat Against Humanity, all for the promise of power and immortality. Some current retcons from Shadowlands state that Kelthazad was actually always in service of the Jailer, meant as a double spy implemented in the Scourge to make sure they succeeded in their goal of weakening Azeroth enough for the Jailer to use the planet's power to power the cosmic forges in Xerath Mortis. However, that is a story for another time. The Arachnid Quarter is major arachnophobia territory and has all sorts of awful skittering sound effects with trash mob pools that get longer as you progress through the wing. It's actually a short distance between the start of the wing and our first boss of Nax, Anubra Khan, Crypt Lord and one of the most loyal servants of Anubarak. No matter if we're talking about the 40-man, the 25-man, or the 10-man versions, there's one consistency in talking about the new Barak fight. Tanking. In addition to needing a main tank to stay on a noob, your group also needed additional off-tanks to handle the Crypt Guard adds that come along and spawn within the encounter, as they can apply infinite damage debuff. In the 25-man version, the encounter begins with two guards, while one doesn't spawn until the Locust phase in the 10-man. The Locust phase is the biggest challenge with Anubarak, as he must be kited around the room's square outermost area by the tank very slowly, while a healer follows that tank to keep them from succumbing to an AoE nature damage spell that could do up to 1200 damage a second to anybody in a 30 yard radius. While all that is going on, there are also crypt guards coming out to contend with for the rest of the raid, meaning that the DPS need to only down the adds but also keep focusing on Nubrock. You're juggling a lot of balls here. 
The drops for this fight are pretty paltry for an entry-level raid, but did include a couple of purple items with jewel sockets, which at the time in the beginning of Wrath era raiding was a pretty big deal, and I think it was actually one of the first pieces of gear I ever got that had a jewel socket. Moving further into the wing, players will encounter Grand Widow Ferlina, a living member of the cult and described as such. The Grand Widow Ferlina, a botanist in life, breeder, and caretaker of arachnids and death, she oversees the spider wing, developing the most potent poisons for the Lich King. Players will contend with two things in this fight. First, the enemy worshippers that start every encounter, they always respond back, some of which can be mind-controlled and used to apply a debuff to Ferlina that can slow her big attack, Poison Bolt Volley, which is the other major issue. The boss will spray the 10 closest members of the raid every 15 seconds, doing damage and applying yet another na nature damage dot. Get used to those. Healers will have to pay close attention to the tanks during her frenzy period, in which her haste and melee damage increases exponentially, doing up to 20,000 damage a strike. No, that is not a typo. This is where having a single target healer, such as a Discipline Priest, like I used to be, comes in handy, able to barrier and buff the tank solo while the rest of the healers handle the massive amount of AoE coming from all sides. There is one achievement for this fight, called Nama said knock you out, requiring the raid to clear the fight without dispelling any of her frenzy phases. Now that's a lot of damage, but in the original fight, a mind control user was absolutely required, as it was the only way to sacrifice a worshipper and dispel frenzy and get rid of it at all, because it wouldn't wear out. This won't be the last time a mind controller would be required in Nax Ramus. Some noted loot includes an equipable totem for shamans called the Totem of Misery, which counted as all four of the elemental totems, which was a rarity at the time. And finally, players delve down into the deepest webs and confront the final boss of the Arachnid Quarter, the Great Widow Makesna, born in the mountains of Northrend and used as a broodmother for Scourge forces. She has some major abilities that players absolutely cannot ignore, lest you wipe the raid and force everyone to walk all the way back through the Arachnid Quarter. Let me tell you, I've done it many a time, it's not fun, don't do it. The first is her web trap, which she does every 40 seconds and sending two players flying to the opposite wall of the room and encasing them in a cocoon that has 15,000 health and it must be broken by the DPS because not only will the wrap not break by itself, but it does 3,000 damage a second. The second and honestly bigger concern is her necrotic poison, which can reduce healing on the target by up to 90%. And if you're betting she primarily uses it on the tank, then you would be correct. This is your druid's time to shine, as Abolish Poison was the best spell for the job for getting rid of the poison. Honestly, if those two things are managed, then this fight was fast and kind of easy, becoming a DPS race to kill her as fast as you could, especially because she had an enrage timer that kicked in at 30% health. With the spider wings squashed, we head to our next target and perhaps the hardest of the wings for new raids to handle, the Plague Quarter. While the Plague Quarter amps up the difficulty from the last wing, the rewards are also greater. 
This was player's first stab at tier gear, dropping the tier 7 belt for players from the first boss of the wing, Noth the Plaguebringer. Another former mage of the Kirin Tor, Noth actually started to feel the weight of his work for the Scourge, and after all of that started beginning to happen, the Witch Lich King froze his heart solid, becoming more undead than not in the process. Noth is a simple, if not annoying, fight for the simple fact that the raid is essentially just killing continually spawning skeletons while waiting for Noth to teleport down from his balcony and become targetable. In the process, the raid is also in dire need of mages and druids to dispel Noth's overall spell off of the raid, lest it spreads and wipes the group with a massive amount of damage. Managing the adds is top priority here, along with positioning off tanks on the skeleton piles so the plagued warriors can be aggroed immediately. Noth will also drop his aggro by blinking across the room, meaning that the main tank will have to keep careful watch on their threat and make sure that a DPS doesn't accidentally pull aggro. Patience wins the day, and in Wrath, Noth can even be killed in a single phase if the players play their cards right. Rewarded with a potential tier 7 belt drop, or tier 3 if we're talking about OG Nax, the group moves on to the great dance hall of Hagen the Unclean. There were plenty of pug raids into Nax for me that ended at Hagen, mainly because of folks' unwillingness to do the most unwow thing there is, which is stop attacking and start watching where you're going. Yes, this is another time when the most important thing is to not stand in fire or purple stuff and to follow the group. Hagen is the creator of the Scourge Plague, so as such, the group needed plenty of priests, pallies, and shamans to dispel and remove diseases. But before you can even get into the dance, you have to go through the tunnel. The Bat Tunnel. Bat credit card not included. The room before the boss will consistently spawn groups of bats that players will have to run through, meaning even more so that the group needs to be talking and aware of what is going on. Many a time raids have wiped on Hagen, then wiped again because people just started running forward and forgot about the bats. However, once you're all past that, the Hagen fight is a simple yet technical encounter that requires the entire raid to move from platform to platform, avoiding the exploding walls of slime that come up from the ground, hence the name, the Hagen Dance. Each dance phase lasts 45 seconds and is a test as to whether or not your group can pay attention. Those that are not are punished with heavy damage and a debuff that reduces your overall health by 50%. Not fun. On top of all of that, Hagen will also do mana burn attacks on your casters and remove mana, meaning that having the likes of a Shadow Priest who can generate raid mana becomes all the more important. And yes, that actually used to be a thing. Believe it or not, mana didn't just feel like a never-ending supply. Uh, you had to fight really hard to keep your mana and really watch your spells back in the day. You know, back in my day. So you know what sucks about raiding? Getting healed. So. I think for the next fight and final encounter of the Plague Quarter, we're just going to knock that crap off. No more healing. Lothab demands it. You heard right, don't expect a lot of heals during this final encounter as Lothab has the ability to turn off 100% of healing for 17 seconds and casts that ability on the entire raid every 20 seconds. If your math is better than mine, then you'll see that leaves only a 3 second window for the healers to get off their biggest spells on the entire raid. And if you're thinking that seems unfair, be glad we aren't talking about the vanilla version in which players could only cast a single healing spell every 60 seconds. 
now, while Lothab doesn't do a lot of damage, he has a ton of health and an rage timer that wipes the raid at 12 minutes in no matter what. So this is a literal DPS race. Luckily, spores drop around the field that give players a 50% crit chance increase, as well as removing all of their threat from their attacks. Clear this big mold infestation, and players are rewarded with Tier 7 legs, which they will need in order to get through our next wing, the Military Quarter. changes made between Vanilla and Wrath versions of Naxx Ramus, the Military Corridor, also called the Death Knight Wing, probably saw the most changes. Not only was an entire boss replaced in the process, but the mechanics for all three were mostly dumbed down for entry-level raiders. Which isn't to say that the DK Wing is easy. The Four Horsemen fight is still one of the most mechanically challenging in the game, but before that, we've got to make our way through a lot of trash mobs. The entire first 10 minutes of the wing are nothing but pulls against plate armor wearing packs of death knights, so prepare for a lot of spell damage. Eventually, players will make their way to the first boss, the notorious Instructor Resuvius. Even in his nerfed wrath form, the Instructor is still a very gimmicky fight that requires players to think outside the bun. For one, it isn't just a simple tank and spank. Resuvius does a ton of damage and places rend effects on the main tank, and DPS doesn't really do a lot of overall damage to the boss. Instead, the raid must either use a priest's mind control or one of the domination orbs in the arena to take control of the instructor's death knight pupils, whose auto attacks do massive damage to their instructor. In Vanilla, this fight was extremely complicated and required healers to not only keep tanks alive, but also heal up the enemy Death Knights, while also using a Hunter and off tanks to kite the spare Death Knight pupils around and keeping them alive, because if you kill all of your Death Knight pupils, then you essentially had to wipe the boss because you had no way to deal damage to Resuvius. In Wrath, it's much simpler and dumbed down, which is maybe for the best. The next boss is similar in structure to the Noth fight from Plaguewing, in that the boss will start up, away, and untargetable while the raid deals with groups of mobs. The difference here is that the party must be separated into two groups on opposite sides of the room, unable to reach one another. One side will handle the alive group of enemies, and upon the death of those enemies, they spawn on the other side as spectral ghosts. This will continue for about four minutes until Gothic the Harvester drops down in the arena, at which point the fight becomes a tank and spank. It's not a hard encounter, but it's one that requires the players to show some restraint, as killing all the alive mobs all at once means you're going to overwhelm the undead side and probably kill your other group. This means that crowd control becomes important, with hunters getting to use their traps for once and mind controls and frost novas, Everything that comes of use here. Easy peasy. Which is good, because now we're at the Four Horsemen, and nothing is easy here. The Horsemen is probably the most iconic fight of the raid, and one of the most difficult in WoW's history, for the fact that it requires four tanks, healers who are able to multitask, and DPS that can keep from stealing aggro away from those tanks 
all the while, everybody is swapping positions across a very strangely laid out room. It's a lot of coordination, a lot of effort, and losing even a couple of people can sink the fight. This fight was so difficult in Vanilla WoW that no guild got a full clear of it for the first seven weeks of the raid's existence. So, why the difficulty? First, each of the four horsemen are in their own corners of a mostly square-shaped room. There's actually little indentations in the middle of the block each corner off from one another so that one corner on one opposite side can't try to heal the group on the other side. Each boss has their own aggro table, and while they can be unarmed by warrior moves, the biggest dangers come in their AoE Mark of the Horseman spell, doing damage and reducing player overall threat. This becomes a problem because the tanks on each side of the room will need to swap horsemen with the opposite tank so that the stacks of the horseman mark from each boss doesn't build up too high. This also means that each tank will have to drop aggro and drag the boss from the opposite side back to their corner. So think about these two groups pulling the horsemen to the middle and then swapping and then pulling them back. Because you have to make sure they stay separate, because if the two horsemen collide, they start casting a spell that can wipe the group in seconds. As you can imagine, this gets confusing, and DPS would often keep attacking the wrong target, steal aggro during the switch from the tanks, or simply forget what they're doing. And this is happening on both sides of the arena, so if you're having problems on your side, you better hope that the other side is doing things correctly. Once a horseman loses all of its health, the boss turns spectral with a new set of abilities and an inability to be tanked or damaged any further, at which point the four raid groups begin combining back into the center to finish off the final horseman. However, this challenge had great rewards with the tier 7, or tier 3, chess pieces, and in Vanilla WoW was where the ultra-rare and original Ashbringer sword would drop, which has long since been unobtainable. One wing to go, and it just happens to be my personal favorite. The A-bomb wing is often the final quarter to be cleared, as it presents the biggest challenges in DPS, coordination, and active listening skills. Enemies hit hard, the floor is made of green lava, and it even requires some jumping and platforming abilities. It's the only wing with more than three bosses also. So no time to waste, let's go see Patchwork. The first boss has a lengthy lead-up with multiple rooms full of poison aura abominations and an ooze-covered floor that does damage over time. Once you clear to the first area where Patchwork is located, it's important to note the River of Goo in the boss room. Players will have to jump over this thing, and it wasn't uncommon to watch a whole bunch of raiders die because they weren't paying attention. Patchwork is pure and simple a gear check, a DPS race meant to determine if your raid is powerful enough to even clear Saffron and KT. He has a short enrage timer at 6 minutes and has the ability to give casters and DPS an extreme amount of threat through his hateful strike ability, meaning it was very easy to pull aggro from your tank without realizing it. And I'm looking at you, hunters and mages. Not to mention that on top of all of this, he is untauntable once that enrage kicks in. It's not a hard fight, but one of the first that required a threat meter tracker like the one found in Deadly Boss Mods. Fun fact, Patchwork is a reference to a raid boss from EverQuest called the Avatar of War, which is also the nickname of Patchwork. That boss even had the same Hateful Strike ability. 
Next, and very close by, is the Flesh Giant Grobulus, and another encounter that requires players to move as a unit while also testing the hiding ability of your off-tank. The big guy will drop poison clouds across the arena every 15 seconds that also expand after 75 seconds, meaning that you kind of had to lead Grobulus around the very large arena floor and keeping sure that plenty of room is available for the raid to stay alive. On top of this, he also spawns a dangerous slime monster and has the ability to affect raid members with an exploding poison spell that can kill the player and the entire raid if they don't run away from the entire group. You don't want that. It, many times I sat in that fight and it would often fall apart because somebody didn't realize that they had the exploding poison on them and they didn't move and everyone died. Up next is a sort of gimmick fight and a test as to whether or not your hunters know how to kite a taunted enemy. The giant undead flesh monster dog Gluth is able to reduce player healing with its Mortal Wound ability, while also having an effect that reduces all players to 5% health every 90 seconds. However, the spell also affects the zombie adds that will continually spawn around the room and during the fight that players will have to burn down lest the dog wanders over and munches on 5 or 6 of them, healing for 5% of his HP for each one devoured. This encounter is all about management of elements, with hunters and off-tanks leading Gluth away from the pack of zombies, while DPS burn down those zombies and healers keep watch for any HP reduction spell that hits the room. There were times in this fight where Gluth will heal back to full health if the players aren't able to manage the adds, which is extra problematic given that the boss has a very short 8 minute rage timer that increases his damage and attack speed by 500%, signaling a sure fire wipe. And finally, we've come to our last main boss of the Wings of Naxxramas, and is yet another one that is far more about execution than it is about doing big numbers of damage. The Frankenstein's monster-like Thaddeus awaits players on top of a massive platform over a field of sludge, requiring the raid to jump from separate platforms over to the boss once the encounter moves to phase two. Plenty of times I would see players fall and have to slowly swim back and jump again, only to fall once more. Seriously, platforming in MMOs should never be a thing. The raid will split into two groups, one for each of the two platforms, and take on hunchback enemies on each side. Not only must the two monsters be kept on the platform to avoid hitting the entire raid with an unblockable shock spell, but both enemies have to be killed within five seconds of each other or they'll spawn back to full health and you have to start over. If the raid manages to get past this, then they must quickly jump to Thaddeus's platform and stay in two separate groups on each side, with each one picking up one of two Tesla coils that are hanging from the room on each side of Thaddeus. Each coil provides either a negative or positive charge, depending on which side of it you're on. Not only will players have to deal with how high their stacks of this charge get, but every so often the boss will perform a polarity shift requiring the raid group to swap sides and pick up the opposite charge or suffer the consequences of a massive and spreading damage attack. On the plus side, your stacks also gave you a damage increase, so it was kind of this give and take to see how far you can get the stacks up before you have to absolutely switch. 
This continues over and over until Thaddeus is down and players head back to the center of Naxxramas to go upstairs and meet Saffron, the second major dragon raid boss of World of Warcraft, third if you're counting Neltharion, and a test of whether or not players can pay attention to debuffs. Frostworm Lair represents two of the most challenging raid bosses in WoW from a gameplay perspective, with both encounters being long and requiring coordination from individual groups of players in order to succeed. First is the undead blue dragon Saffron, killed by Arthas in the Northrend campaign and resurrected to guard the throne room of Kel'Thuzad. Saffron is not only a dragon boss fight and is such, requires players to remember the golden rule of don't stand in front or behind. Kind of like a horse, I guess? I don't know. The tank will get cleaved and anyone behind the dragon gets hit with a tail swipe. In addition to this, the thing that makes Saffron so difficult is his frost aura, which hits everyone in the raid for 2000 damage every 2 seconds. Success in this fight requires your healers to have their heads on a swivel, while also assigning each healer a specific group of players to focus on healing, while also putting a healer dedicated to the tanks. Those healers need to be mindful of their cooldowns and mana, as it was easy to blow everything once, and then you'd move on to the Blizzard and Frost breath phases of the fight, which deal even more AoE damage on top of that unavoidable Frost Aura. It also required players to move around and avoid the fog slash blizzard effect moving across the arena in kind of an unavoidable pattern. You had to bob and swerve and weave. It was a whole bunch of trying to watch to see where you're going. And as you can imagine, this is why so much frost resist gear was required to even consider clearing this fight back in vanilla. And in addition, Sorry, Frostblade players. I hope you weren't trying to play Frost spec at all because Saffron is completely immune to Frost spells in vanilla and was extremely resistant to them in Wrath. So much that whenever I ran my Frost Death Knight solo through Nax uh, here recently on the 25 man version just to do it for fun, um, actually I ran into trouble and had to switch to Unholy. And it was at that point that I discovered, like, oh no, Unholy spec is so much better than Frost now that it's not even uh, close. But that's fine. Nobody plays a Frost Mage anyways. One final challenge remains down the long and winding halls of Naxxramas and into the octagonal throne room of the Arch-Lich Kel'Thuzad, ready to receive his guests and invite a whole party of undead monsters to the gathering, which must be contended with before KT even bothers to join the fight. The Kel'Thuzad fight is one that I hold dear as it was my first time ever raiding as a tank. Um, we had a tank that had to drop out for the last fight. We'd already been in there for three hours. We just wanted to get it done. So I said, yeah, sure. How hard could tanking be? He said in his frost spec. You know, back in the day when frost spec death knights could actually tank. So I was assigned the off-tank task of the Crypt Lords that spawn in Phase 3 and have the ability to increase their damage and size by 15% every 20 seconds, meaning they absolutely had to be off-tanked or the DPS would get wrecked in mere moments. But before all of that, players will form a circle in the middle and fend off what feels like an unending wave of skeletons, abominations, and banshees while KT watches in the corner like some kind of weirdo. 
At the four minute mark, the timer goes off and the Lich engages the fight. And in a funny moment of accuracy, essentially KT has all the skills that he has in the MOBA Heroes of the Storm. Shadow fissures explode on the ground, KT is able to chain enemies together, and in this case, mind controls up to three people, who also have the ability to heal Kael'thas, the Kael'thasad immediately. Uh, in one funny example, I once saw a blood death knight get mind controlled, their blood type went off and healed Kel'Thuzad for something like 30,000 health. If the raid survives all of this, then it moves on to the final phase with four Crypt Lords hitting the arena and requiring a tank on every single one of them in order to keep the main tank alive long enough to survive the frost damage assault and sending KT spiraling off to the Shadowlands. Naxxramas will always hold a special place in my heart for being the raid where I learned to tank, but it also retains an aura of mystery and coolness that makes it something fascinating to behold even today. I doubt we'll ever see another raid quite like Nax, both in difficulty and in variety of design and scope. It's just and if you've never stepped through the halls of Naxxramas, I suggest you load up a max level tune and go solo for yourself for a good time and maybe listen to a podcast while you're doing it. Thank you for joining me on what is surely the longest episode of this podcast to date. Want to join the official Essence of Azeroth Discord channel? Send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter to get the link. Also consider donating to the creation of Essence of Azeroth on our anchor.fm page. Anything you give would be lovely. Next time on Essence of Azeroth, the, uh, the theology episode, maybe? Is this just a running joke at this point? They swear I have a script written, I promise. Until next time, take care of one another, and remember to equip that nature resist gear. See ya. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. I said no more voice changer. <laughs>